Well, good morning and welcome to another episode here of Roadmap to Heaven. I am Adam Wright and it is good to be with you this morning. It's a little bit of a, not a foggy start today, but I don't know about you, but all our windows were just, uh, it wasn't frost. I don't even know what you call it. They were The windows were fogged over. And the kids were like, Dad, what's happening here? We can draw on the windows. I was like, no, every father everywhere. No, please don't draw on the windows. Let's begin our day in prayer together this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day. For all the intentions of your sacred heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is, you know, Tuesday of Holy Week, and so we're going to focus on that this week. The, you know, the remainder of the week, we're going to not take a departure from our normal format, but I mean, we're going to be very intentional in our focus on Holy Week today. And one of the things that I'm really looking forward to, I went on the road recently to have a conversation with Father Michael Rainier about the gospel we heard two weeks ago, Jesus wept, the death of Lazarus. And he had some insights that I wanted to share today. I was originally just going to put this on the podcast, um, but there were some insights in it that I wanted to share with you today. So we're going to bring you part of that conversation later today for the full thing. You do need to go visit the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Adam Wright for Covenant Network. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. And while you're at it, share it with your friends. And now back to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. Today is the feast day of St. Isidore of Seville, doctor of the church. Born in Spain in 560, he came from a family that included three other siblings, Leander, Fulgentius, and Florentina, all of whom would become revered saints themselves. He was educated in the classical Roman tradition by his older brother, whom he succeeded as the Bishop of Seville. Dedicated to his intellectual pursuits in writing, he wrote a dictionary, history books, and an encyclopedia that would be used for the next 900 years. Isidore helped build seminaries in every diocese in Spain and founded schools that taught every branch of learning. Eventually, he became known as the schoolmaster of the Middle Ages and set the standard for subsequent theologians. Arian Goths, who believed that Christ was not God, occupied Spain in the 5th and 6th centuries, and that divided the country. Isidore used his knowledge to evangelize and reunite Spain, making it a center of culture and learning, a country that would serve as a model for other European countries whose culture was also being threatened by barbarian invaders. He died in 636 at the age of 76 and was named patron saint of the internet by St. Pope John Paul II. St. Isidore, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. One of the Gospels that we encounter during the season of Lent is the story of the death of Lazarus. And it's one that I think we all know, that Jesus is out 
doing his ministry, and they send word to him, come, Lazarus is ill, and he's not doing well, and Jesus doesn't go. In fact, he stays doing what he's been doing, and then they send word, don't bother coming, he died. And that's when he goes. And we encounter, uh, for our catechiz, trivia enthusiasts, the shortest verse in all of Scripture, Jesus wept. Two words that have a lot of significance. And when I think of these two words and things that our Lord does in the gospel and says in the gospel, it can be very tempting to think about, well, what are the things we remember? Well, he said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Blessed are those who do this, that, and the other thing. Uh, When you do this, you did it for me. When you didn't do this, you didn't do it for me. We sometimes, at least I sometimes, forget about that very part of his human nature that he would have friends, that he would have those who he was close with, and when something happened, that our Lord indeed could be sad. We are here with a poet at heart, Father Michael Rainier, and we're going to talk about just these two words today, Jesus wept. Father, it's always good to visit with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. You stole all my thunder. I was going to come in and inform the whole audience, this is the shortest verse in the Bible, and it was going to be very profound, and you were going to you were going to be in awe of, of my, my scholarly abilities, but you already, you already know that it's the shortest verse. We can just be in, in <laughs> awe of, of one another. <laughs> let's, let's talk about this for a moment, because I think we do forget about these things, at least I do sometimes. You know, it, it's easy to think of, what did Jesus say? Well, he said, do this, don't do that. The two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. That Sometimes we forget that when he wasn't preaching or, or you know, preaching the Beatitudes or multiplying loaves and fishes, that he had friends. Right. He, he lived an actual human life. Uh, and uh, like you say, we so often intellectualize the gospel and, and we read it and we think, okay, he said this. What's the lesson? What's the moral? And that's all well and good. We should be learning and increasing our knowledge of the faith. But we don't want to lose sight of the fact that it's so much more that Jesus lived as, as a human as a human being. He experienced everything that we experience. Uh, I think sometimes about, well, did he take his dirt bike out with his buddies, you know, when he was ten years old and build a ramp and and skin his knee and, and run home, you know, crying to Mary, or did he get in a fight, you know, with with the neighborhood bully and then give him a ride on his bike home after, you know, he got his nose bloodied or whatever, you know, like he's just living this, this, this human life. And he's, by doing that, he's sanctifying uh, every, every part of, of the human experience, right? So, so childhood is sacred. Uh, being a parent is sacred. Friendship, which, which is what he has with Lazarus, it's sacred. There's, there's deep and, and beautiful meaning uh, to the entirety of our lives, and it's not as if we uh, take the Catholic piece of us and say, "Okay, this is now. I'm reading the scriptures. Now I'm now I'm now I'm into the Ten Commandments." And then the rest of our lives, it has no no real bearing on it. But but the whole of our lives is meant to be a reflection of of God's love and a life transformed, a life happily lived. You grew up in a non-denominational evangelical church. Right. And a heavy relationship, or a heavy emphasis, we should say, on personal relationship with our Lord and, and friendship with our Lord. And sometimes I think when we look at a divine person with a divine nature and a human nature, we focus so much on the divine, we forget to say, well, 
is Jesus inviting me to friendship with him? And especially, you know, you and I are sitting across a table from one another. So friendship is very easy. We can talk. We text back and forth. We send each other messages. We enjoy beverages of various sorts when we come together. Uh, it, it's hard to do that because our Lord has ascended, and I don't think I've knowingly ever sat down for a beverage with our Lord. Um, and yet he invites us to such an intimate encounter with him in the liturgy. But can we have that friendship that Lazarus had with him? I, I think so. I think it's a miracle even that Lazarus had it, even though Lazarus did see and, and, and hang out with, with Jesus. Um, in the ancient world, right, friendship is a very important concept, uh, and maybe we minimize it too much in the modern world. We think, oh, he's just a friend. Um, but it's, that's, a, that's not that, that important. We, you know, we, we discard friendship so quickly and so easily, and we don't value them. Um, but in the ancient world, friendship is one of these, these types of, of very strong um, loves, right? So Aristotle talks about this is one of the, the kinds of, this is how you love each other. Um, there's different kinds of love that are appropriate to different relationships, right? The, the love of husband and wife, but then you, you have the love of, of friends, uh, Phileo, Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love. Um, and that love is, is way more important than, than we think it is. So... Uh, one of the, the ways I've, I've heard it explained is, uh, well, grace is really God offering friendship to us. And you think, oh, that's nice. He wants to be friends with me, you know, okay. But that's, that's a really valuable offer <laughs> to, to, to be friends with someone. And uh, Aristotle says, okay, well, friendship's super valuable, but it only works uh, under certain conditions, kind of like what you just laid out. Like, we're equals, right? We hang out. We, we, we speak the same language. We text each other. We, we understand each other culturally, and so we can be friends. It gets a lot harder if, you know, you're, you're a dictator of a foreign country. At that point, it's hard for me to be friends with you. Uh, different language, different social status, different culture. Maybe I, I try to be your friend, and you're always wondering, well, is he just trying to, to suck up to me to, you know, <laughs> get my treasures because I'm the dictator and have everything. So friendship, he says, it's always between equals. So here's, here's Jesus, the, the, the God of the universe, right, infinite from before time began, and he, he looks at this guy, Lazarus, he's like, well, let's be friends. <laughs> and I think this is the most unequal relationship ever, but somehow he's willing to make it work. And then he does the same thing with you, you and me. Like Jesus says, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be friends with you, Adam. And you think, well, why? <laughs> why, would, why would he do that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's one thing to compare myself to Lazarus and maybe to you to say right now, if, if Father had a choice to hang out with Adam or with Lazarus, you know, Lazarus and I are on a pretty equal playing field with you. However, if it was Father had a choice to hang out with Jesus or Adam, I have a feeling you're going to pick our Lord uh, because, as you said, I mean, it, there's no comparison. There, there's no amount I can tip the scales to even come close to our Lord. This is where it gets a little confusing for a lot of us, I think. At some point in time, we've all reflected upon this scripture passage and say, okay, he loved Lazarus, and he, he wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. But how come when they said, you know, your friend isn't doing so well, you should come now before he dies, yeah, I'll go when I go. Um, and it wasn't until after Lazarus died that he went 
And then he wept. And, and, and at one point, I remember being very cynical in reading this passage of Scripture. Like, well, why are you crying? You knew that he was, they told you he was dying. Even if they didn't tell you he was dying, you're God. You knew what was going to happen. And so then, naturally, the question becomes, well, what actually was he weeping about? What made Jesus weep in this? Was it the death of Lazarus or was it something else? Because as we find out, I mean, he can raise Lazarus and does raise Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, so there's some things that are, yeah, we're not going to understand, right? So why this delay? Why is he, why, it seems like he's playing games. What's going on here? Um, so that, that's just going to be, I think, uh, a secret that, that our Lord keeps until maybe we can ask him in, in heaven what, you know, literally what's going on here. Um, I do think the tears are genuine. Yeah. This, this friend has died and he's sad. Uh, but there is something, as with all the scriptures, there's something deeper happening in this story. So it is literally a historical story about a, a real man, Lazarus, who lived, who died, and then was literally raised, you know, back from the dead um, through the power of Christ. But there's always a spiritual meaning as well um, to to all of the events in the life of Christ. And uh, Saint Augustine. Uh, does a good job pointing this out. So he points out that there are actually three uh, events in the life of Christ when he raises a person from the dead. So he raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead. That's how I'm going to say that name. <laughs> don't, don't, don't question me on that. Uh, there's the young man of name, and then there's Lazarus. And what Augustine points out is you have three distinct circumstances surrounding these miracles. So in the first, so with Jairus, he's just died, and he's still at home. Uh, the body's still at, in the house, and Jesus goes to the house, he does the miracle. And then you have the young man of name who has died, and he's actually, um, his body's in the process of being processed to its final resting place, to the grave. So he's, he's on the journey between home where he died and, and the graveyard. And then you have Lazarus, who's actually dead, buried for three full days. And Augustine points out this corresponds to three stages of, of sin. All right, so you have the first stage, that stage in which we're still, we're at home, we're not being carried out yet, but, but in a sense we, we've given into the sin, um, we're thinking about it, it's appealing to us, um, and we've perceived something that causes us to, to be distracted from from God. So that's the first stage. And then we have stage two, which he calls the contemplative stage. That's when we're really thinking about it and we're, we're mulling it over. What if I did this sin? How great would that be? What would the consequences be? Oh, I can go to confession later. It's not a big deal. You know, we're rationalizing it. We're thinking about it. Um, and and we're, at that stage, we're starting to turn inward. And so Augustine says, okay, you're on the journey at this point. You're somewhere on the way to the graveyard. <laughs> uh, you've gone pretty far down the path here. And then he, and he talks about Lazarus then as being that third stage, which he calls the consent of the will. That's, that's the part where we've fully given in to the idea, I am going to do this sin. I'm going to take the action. Uh, and at that point, he says, you're dead, you're buried. Your sins have, have become mortal, and they've separated you from God. And so when I read this, and I, I, I read that, that verse, Jesus wept, it seems to me that our Lord is, is weeping over our sins. 
and he's weeping over the fact that our sins have damaged us, his friends, and he doesn't want to see us suffer in that way. He doesn't want to see us separated from happiness and separated from eternal life. And when we, when we fall into those sins, he feels it, right? And so he's not just saying, okay, stay out of sin and be good boys, be good girls, and uh, you, you get to heaven someday, and, and God the Father will will be pleased with you because you've, you know, you've followed all his rules. But he's, I think Jesus is, is really reacting here out of that deep friendship that he wants us to be happy and he can't always uh, stop us, right? Because we make our own choices and so we end up spiritually, as it were, in, in the grave. Taking that then to the context of the Paschal mystery, especially the Passion. You know, we think of... Why would our Lord endure all that he endured? Someone I, I was speaking with recently reflected that when it came time to nail our Lord to the cross, I mean, I would imagine anyone else, when they go to crucify them with every last bit of fight they have left, they try to keep that arm from being outstretched so that it can be nailed to the cross. But as we read, like a lamb led to slaughter, our, our Lord willingly goes. You know, I, I imagine uh, much like the depiction of St. Thomas More in A Man for All Seasons. There was no struggle. There was no, don't pull my arm out, don't put that nail in. It, it was very willing. And I think of just about any parent I know, and, and especially in, in my life, uh, two times when our children had to be hospitalized, one for a broken bone, a pretty severe broken bone, and one for an infection. And thinking as a parent, I wish that I could take their place. I would gladly step in and suffer this so that they would not have to. And I wonder, you know, what, what's the correlation between what Jesus does for Lazarus, what you've just said about our sin being death, and then what he's willing to do, what he's willing to take upon himself on Calvary, and how we should be looking at that and saying, well, you know, I just, I don't feel, you know, we talk about consolation and prayer. I just didn't feel anything in it. Well, okay, you didn't feel anything, but look at what happened. If you need the testament of how much God loves you, it's right there on the cross. You know, I, I'm just curious your thoughts. I'm kind of being a little vague here because I, I'm having a hard time articulating it, but what, what's the lesson we can learn or what's the comfort we could take is maybe a better question in that friendship in the context of the passion. I, I think the comfort is that... Um... The friendship that Christ has for us runs so deep that he will share every part of our lives with us. He'll, he'll weep when we weep. He suffers when we suffer. He's, he's doing it all, right? God could have saved us in a totally different way. He could have just snapped his fingers and said, okay, you're, you're saved now, <laughs> right? But he does it a different way, a very inefficient, strange way to, to my mind, which is he, he kind of showed up here. Right, and then and then live that life with us because he wanted to know everything about us. He wanted to sanctify every part of our lives, um, which is the good and and the bad. So for me, the comfort at times like this during Lent and, and Holy Week, when I'm I'm struggling so hard to leave my own sins behind and failing and getting up again and feeling guilty and wondering if there's any light at the end of the tunnel, is that Jesus is there the whole time. He's he's in all of it. Um, both my victories, but also the defeats. It makes me think of, uh, I have a few friends that we all have our own burdens and our own crosses that we carry, and we've all made our own mistakes, and yet one of the joys of friendship is to say, yeah, 
you messed up, but I'm not leaving your side. We're going we're gonna to get through this together. You know, I'm going to be here to help you get through this. And there's no greater example of I am here to help you get through this than our Lord saying, I'll even take on the punishment so that you might have life. So let's talk about the, the very practical then. We're probably not going to face the situation of Lazarus where we're going to be in a tomb for three days and then our Lord's going to appear and say, Adam, come forth and have them remove the bindings from my, my hands and my legs and, and my body. But, as you said, spiritually, when I commit that grave sin, you know, I die. That, that more, I'm mortally wounded spiritually, and I've separated myself from our Lord, that he does give us through the church a very practical way in which he says, Adam, come forth, and that's the sacrament of reconciliation. And so we can experience that resurrection I mean, really every day, if we were mortally sinning every day and contrite and, and we were trying and we just kept falling into it, you know, there's no limit. Sorry, you've reached your quota of times you're allowed to go to reconciliation this year. Um, but every time we fall into grave sin, if we're repentant and we want to change, he'll call us forth from that spiritual grave. Yeah, that, that's a really beautiful image, I think, for what's happening in confession. We think, oh, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to tell the priest some things he's going to... He's going to judge me in his mind, and, and, then, and then Jesus is going to judge me, and uh, you know, maybe I'll survive this, and, uh, but it's not going to be fun. And, uh, and maybe people just come once a year because they think, oh, I have to, it's my duty. And that's our minimum motivation. But this image of, of Lazarus is so enlightening for maybe a better way to think about what's happening during that sacrament, which is Jesus is not there necessarily judging us with anger, but he's judging us with sympathy and friendship, and, and he can't wait for us to show up for the sacrament so that he can breathe new life into us. Yeah, I think of that image or that, that title we give our Lord, the Divine Physician, that it's it's more of that. It, it's not, come on into the, the reconciliation, uh, or come on into the confessional, and I'll give you three keys to change your life so that you'll never commit that sin again. Because I think most of us, we all bring the same sin, unfortunately, over and over and over again, uh, with varying degrees of success of avoiding that sin. Uh, but we bring it over and over and over again, and he doesn't say, all right, you know, Father's going to give you now three things to, to never commit that sin again. And he says, no, I'm going to give you absolution. I'm going to heal you. You know, you, you've been wounded we're going to heal the wound. That is exactly what we're doing here. And by virtue of that healing, hopefully we will have the strength to avoid that occasion of sin and avoid that temptation and not commit that sin again. And much like going to, you know, I, I suffer from allergies. Our listeners know this. Uh, it's doing the regular treatments with my allergists that make it possible for me to avoid allergy attacks. So by going to see the temporal physician on a regular basis, I have physical health. By going to see the divine physician on a regular basis stands to reason I would then have spiritual health. Yeah, go regularly. Go to confession regularly. I found that it's uh, something I need to do, and it's something that, uh, as you say, I, I uh, confess the same sins repeatedly, and I feel terrible about that. But the point still stands that Jesus is always there, and he's, he's just waiting for me to, to show up so he can call me out of the grave. Well, Father, this has been a wonderful conversation for us, something to help 
stir our imaginations. And that's, that's something we've talked about before, the importance of just thinking about these things and contemplating these things, placing myself in the shoes of Lazarus or in, in the gospel passages or thinking about what does my friendship with our Lord look like. So I want to thank you for that. As always, could I ask you to close our time together with a prayer for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I can give you a blessing. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, Pater et Filius et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. This wraps up our On the Road discussion with Father Michael Rainier about the shortest verse in all of Scripture, Jesus wept. Our catechist today, there are two hymns that will be sung this week. One, I'll give you right out, it's on Holy Thursday as we make the procession at the end of Mass from the altar to the altar of repose with the Blessed Sacrament. The hymn is titled Pange Lingua, and there are differences between the two Pange Linguas we sing. But when do we sing the other Pange Lingua? That is your catechist question today. We sing one of them on Holy Thursday during the procession from the altar to the altar of repose at the conclusion of Mass. When do we sing the other Pange Lingua? If you are saying on Good Friday during the veneration of the cross, then you are correct. The differences between the two, the hymn on Holy Thursday, Pange Lingua Gloriosi Corporis Mysterium, uh, composed by St. Thomas Aquinas, a hymn written about the Blessed Sacrament, imitating the one that was composed first, the hymn composed by Fortunatus, Pange Lingua Gloriosi Laurem Sertaminis the one where we sing about the Holy Cross, the one we sing about the tree on which our Lord was crucified. So two things to possibly be on the lookout for as you go to our Holy Week liturgies. Let's get you our Daily Dose of Encouragement. This week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, we are journeying through Holy Week by journeying through the Holy Land with Patty Schneier. And Patty, where are we going to go on this Tuesday? Well, I want to give people some visual pictures and some descriptions of these very sacred places as we are hearing, of course, the liturgy all week about Jesus and his his passion all taking place in Jerusalem. So I want us to linger and remain with Jesus in these places. And one of my favorite places from our trip to the Holy Land was the Garden of Gethsemane. So today let's talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. So from the upper room in Jerusalem, John's gospel tells us that this is across the Kidron Valley back toward the Mount of Olives. So we were coming from the Mount of Olives walking, and we literally walked down the hill past that cemetery, all those stones. And then we stopped here at the Garden of Gethsemane. And you'll see a gated grove of olive trees still there, and some of which have been determined to be 2,000 years old. And there's also a huge church built over the place where Jesus prayed. And in this church, in front of the altar, is a huge flat stone. It's exposed just below the wooden floor of the church. It's square. It's approximately like eight feet by eight feet with an artist's iron crown of thorns framing all sides of this stone. And pilgrims come and they kneel down on three of these four sides and they reach over that crown of thorns just to touch the holy ground where Jesus prayed, where his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And this was one of my favorite places to pray. I remember asking our Lord for forgiveness for all the times when I've been like the disciples, weak, 
lazy, couldn't be bothered to pray. And here I also prayed for everyone that I could think of who's in agony today, you know, the agony in the garden. So today, maybe picture yourself touching the very rock where Jesus prayed and maybe find some time to spend one hour with him in prayer, like we would all hope that we would have done in that garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. A wonderful invitation for us to maybe visit our Adoration Chapel or just stop by the parish church to pray. And if you're not able to do that, pray wherever you are, but to spend that hour with our Lord. Patty, thank you for this encouragement. I fell victim to something last night. I didn't write it down. You know how often do I say, make a list, write it down, everything, know your priorities, have a plan. I meant to get over to a local parish with the kids last night, the ones that didn't get to go to confession last week, to give them the opportunity to go before Easter, and we didn't make it because I didn't write it down. In fact, all evening long, I kept saying, I know I'm supposed to do something tonight. I couldn't remember what it was. So now I'm writing it down that we have another opportunity Wednesday evening by our house, and we're going to make sure to get there. But I would just urge you this week, if you need to get to confession before Easter, have a plan because we are running out of time. And that's the uh, that's the moral of the story. But don't go for lack of a plan. Don't do that. Don't, don't not go for lack of a plan. Have a plan and go. Go to confession this week if you need to. Get ready for Easter. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, Our Lady of Sorrows, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pardon me there. Uh, Tomorrow on the show, we're going to continue reflecting through Holy Week. And later this week, you know, we're just two days away from Holy Thursday and Good Friday. Let's get ready for that sacred Paschal Triduum. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. You've been listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Don't forget to check out the podcast for the long interview with Father Rainier. Until then, uh, pray your rosary today.